For many authors, when they think about promoting their book, their minds go directly to one method of promotion, social media. The challenge with social media is that since social networks are changing so quickly, what worked in 2021 may not work anymore. That advice you got at a writer's conference in 2019, you may need to completely throw it out. That is why in this episode, we are going to give you a 2022 guide to social media marketing for authors. If you want the latest and greatest advice of what works right now, not what worked six months ago, stick around. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr., CEO of Author Media, and this is Novel Marketing, the longest running book marketing podcast in the world. This is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and make a difference with writing worth talking about. And I've been helping companies, politicians, nonprofits, and authors use social media effectively since 2007. I've managed hundreds of thousands in ad spend and innovative techniques that have swayed elections and influenced public policy. Yes, back before I worked with authors, I worked with politicians, innovating a lot of the techniques that we now take for granted. Uh, Last year, I released a history of Facebook for authors, which was one of our most popular episodes of 2021. And this episode's an update of that, of sorts. It's kind of, um, I I put out the encyclopedia last year, and this is the yearbook of everything that's changed. This episode is for all authors, both published and unpublished, Indian trad, fiction, and nonfiction. But before we talk about social media and all the different platforms and which one, may work for you, we need to talk about the important principle of opportunity cost. The question you should ask should never be, will X help me sell more books? Will Facebook help me sell more books? Don't ask, will TikTok help me sell more books? The reason is, is that this is not a helpful question for making decisions because the answer is almost always yes. Will standing at the side of the road help me sell more books? Probably. People can get money panhandling, giving nothing away. So you will likely make some money selling your book on the side of the road. But that is not necessarily a good way to sell your book. The better question is, how does this promotion activity compare with my next best alternative? And to know what your next best alternative is, you need to know what your alternatives are. The more alternatives you're aware of, the better your next best alternative will be. And if you think that social media is your only option, you're going to get into a trap. (laughs) This is why I'll be talking about a bunch of social networks in this episode. The one sure path to failure is to try to be everywhere all the time for everyone. In fact, I should say this right up front. You don't even need to be on social media to be a successful author. In fact, as I work With best-selling authors, I've noticed that the more successful a writer is, the less time they spend on social media. What makes you a successful writer is, wait for it, your writing. You can't Facebook or TikTok your way to publishing success without first being a good writer. In terms of opportunity cost, for many successful authors, the next best alternative is not doing social media at all. There's a whole world of marketing techniques that do not involve social media. Now, while many unpublished authors spend all day sharing advice with each other on social media, best-selling authors spend that time writing. So I do encourage you to avoid any literary agent or publisher 
who pressures you to be on social media. This is a big red flag. They're not keeping up with what's working and what's not working. In fact, it's a red flag that they may be an imposter or a bozo. A bozo is someone that they don't know, that they don't know what they're talking about. They're not a fraud. They're not trying to defraud you. They just don't know that they don't know. <laughs> so it often takes years for authors to realize that their agent is a bozo. So imagine this as a really helpful warning <laughs> that that agent who seemed so savvy and friendly and clever actually doesn't know what he or she is talking about. Uh, there are a lot of people in publishing who don't know that they don't know anything about book marketing. <laughs> so uh, the ones who are pressuring you to be on social media just to quote, get your numbers up, avoid, avoid, avoid. But who knows? You may be a good fit for social media or you may be a good fit for a specific social network. So let's go through them, starting with Instagram. For a long time, Instagram was almost useless from a marketing perspective for authors. Why? Because you had to have 10,000 followers before you could post a link to buy your book. Now, 99% of authors have less than 10,000 followers on Instagram. And this means that the platform became really difficult to use. Yes, you could use Linktree to try to hack your way into links to your book, but that just added another conversion rate killing step into an already long sales funnel. Now, Instagram, just in the last couple of months, has started softening this restriction. The 99% can now add links to stories. So you still can't add a link to a regular Instagram post, but you can add a link to an Instagram story. The thing to realize about Instagram stories is that they self-destruct or disappear after 24 hours, but it's better than nothing. So now Instagram is slightly more useful for authors in this regard. Now, I should say that there is a vibrant community of readers on Instagram. Uh, this community is called Bookstagram. You can find it on the Bookstagram hashtag, and it can make a big difference when it comes to driving sales for certain kinds of books. In general, Bookstagrammers, though, are readers, not authors. And this is important. Well, there are a few authors who are popular on Bookstagram. Most of the Bookstagram celebrities, the Bookstagram influencers, are readers. More than any other social network, Instagram is a celebration of physical beauty. It's a social network for specifically female beauty. If you scroll on Instagram for very long, you tend to see beautiful face after beautiful face. According to Instagram's own internal research, the social network is harmful to the mental health of many of its users who don't feel like they're living up to the Instagram model standard of beauty. <laughs> no wonder. It's, I don't think that that could be healthy for anyone. <laughs> so the uncomfortable reality is that most people who are popular on Instagram are pretty. And they're not just pretty, they are Instagram pretty. Uh, which means they spend a lot of time doing makeup. And if you want to learn how to spend a lot of time doing makeup, there are innumerable people on Instagram who will show you exactly how to do the fancy Instagram style of makeup. So here's my recommendation regarding Instagram. I don't think that trying to become a bookstagrammer is a good strategy for most authors. Uh, that is, unless you're both beautiful and talented as a photographer and a videographer. Unlike blogging, this is not a platform that is a celebration of writing. It's not even a platform that really uses writing as an input, which means that to get good at Instagram, you have to build a set of skills that's completely separate from the set of skills that you use as an author. So there's no good synergies here. So instead of trying to become an Instagram influencer yourself, 
I recommend you just sponsor some of those popular bookstagrammers to feature your book. <laughs> yes, this costs money, but it is so much less work that you could get a day job, make money, pay for the bookstagrammers to sponsor you and still have a bunch of money left over. And as a nice bonus, by working a day job, instead of spending that time on Instagram, you are protecting your own mental health. <laughs> the more time people spend on Instagram, the more stressed, anxious, and depressed they tend to become. There's a reason that the US Surgeon General, just in the last few weeks, put out an advisory about social media. <laughs> it is the new smoking, except instead of being harmful to your body, it is harmful to your psyche, or dare I say it, your soul. <laughs> so you wanna be careful how much time you spend on Instagram. Now let's talk about Twitter. Now I got my start in the publishing world helping authors with Twitter. I remember being at a writer's conference in 2007, 2008, and I was helping authors sign up for Twitter uh, for the very first time. Some of our first viral blog posts were about Twitter and some of my first presentations at writer's conferences were about how authors could use Twitter. Ah, how things have changed. <laughs> so to give you an example, of how things have changed. I wanna talk about kind of the big news and social media publishing and specifically Twitter publishing, which is the Billie Eilish story. So Billie Eilish has 6.4 million followers on Twitter. She was able to use her massive social following to get a $1 million book deal. She's famous, right? She's, she's Billie Eilish. She's written a bunch of famous songs and her book went on to sell about 64,000 copies, which may seem like a lot, but not when you got a million dollar advance. Her publisher took a bath. It lost a fortune publishing her book because her social following didn't translate. Now, if she only was on Twitter, it wouldn't have been too bad, right? That's a 1% conversion rate, which is actually better than I've ever seen anyone else get. But here's the deal. Billie Eilish wasn't just on Twitter. She had 98 million followers on Instagram, 32 million followers on Facebook, 44 million followers on YouTube. 36 million followers on TikTok. So she has millions of followers, hundreds of millions of followers across five different social networks. And she has fewer book sales than independently published author Chris Fox, who has almost no social media presence. And that tells you, I think, everything you need to know about social media. And this is why I say that any agent or publisher or guru who says you have to be on social media to be successful is a bozo because it's just not true. And being successful on social media doesn't guarantee success. You would think 100 million followers would be enough to sell at least 100,000 copies of a book. But no, it is not. It is not at all. So anyway, back to Twitter. Uh, Twitter's become, in recent years, too toxic, too political, and really too vapid uh, to work for book marketing. Uh, if your book has any substance to it, uh, it's likely not a good fit for Twitter. Uh, the one exception to this is if you're writing uh, controversial books or political books that you're able to use the you know controversy of the day uh, to your advantage, uh, it may work. So I think the author who's using Twitter the best is J.K. Rowling. Every time her book sales start to slump, uh, she'll get on Twitter and say something that gets a bunch of people angry and it will create a media firestorm around J.K. Rowling and they hear about J.K. Rowling and Harry Potter and they're like, oh yeah, I haven't read Harry Potter in a while and they go out and buy more Harry Potter books and her books jump to the top of the list. But to get there and to use Twitter in this way, she has to be willing to be in the middle of a firestorm of hate, <laughs> uh, which, you know, when millions of dollars are coming in, I guess it compensates for being in a firestorm of hate. But I think for 
for most authors, it's not worth it. And I just don't recommend Twitter as a general rule for really any author. So yeah, you can skip Twitter. I'm sad to say, because this is the one I got started on. Uh, But the people like me who were the early ones to Twitter were not the ones that are on Twitter anymore. So now let's talk about TikTok. TikTok is one of the fastest growing social networks right now. It recently passed 1 billion users and is continuing to grow. Now, TikTok, if you're not familiar, focuses on short videos and is particularly popular amongst teenage girls. But don't think that it's just teenagers on TikTok. While it skews young and it skews female with a billion users, you don't get to a billion by just targeting one demographic. So everybody's on TikTok now. And unlike other social networks, TikTok is less about who you follow or who follows you, and it's more about the TikTok algorithm. So the way most people use TikTok is that they have a page called the For You page, and it's basically a giant bucket of everything on TikTok. And the TikTok algorithm gets to know you better than your best friends know you, and it sorts that giant bucket into posts that appeal to your deepest desires (laughs) in very kind of eerie ways. And it's what makes the platform so addictive. It's the only social network I know of that actually has warnings that pop up that tell you to take a break and get a drink of water. And imagine what must have happened for them to feel the need to add a warning to the platform to take a break and get a drink of water. It's just a very addictive platform. So while Twitter doesn't have a very useful book community, I mean, there are people on Twitter who talk about books, but it's not really useful for book marketing, it doesn't really move the numbers in terms of book sales, TikTok does. So there is a vibrant community of TikTok readers who talk about books. And like you have Bookstagram, well, on TikTok, it's called BookTok. So you can find it on the BookTok hashtag. And BookTok has really driven sales. So if you listen to the music on the radio, a lot of the songs you're hearing on the radio right now are the songs that are popular on BookTok, sorry, on TikTok. And some of the books on the bestseller list are the ones being driven by buzz on TikTok. But because TikTok is not driven based off of followers, I mean, you can have followers and influence the algorithm a little bit, but the For You page doesn't look at followers nearly as much as you might think. Instead, it's not really a platform for authors <laughs> to get the word out to their readers because there's this kind of the biggest, most impenetrable algorithm between you and your subscribers. And like Instagram, the popular book talkers are not authors they are readers. And the books that jumped in the charts jumped because teenage readers on TikTok, teenage girls for the most part, talked about those books. And these were not the result of a promotion campaign by the publisher. In fact, many of the books that surged in sales were older books, backlist books that the publishers had almost forgotten about suddenly were on the bestseller list again because a few viral videos went viral on TikTok. This is difficult to manufacture. And I don't know anyone who's like, hey, I know the secret to going viral on TikTok as an author for your book. So who thrives on TikTok? Well, while many authors are trying to become TikTok famous, most of them are failing. (laughs) Why? Because it's really hard to get that algorithm to smile on you, especially if you are 30 or older. Now, I'm still the young guy at most writers conferences. I'm not nearly as young as I was back in 2007 when I was going as a single (laughs) 20-something. But even I, at 35, I feel like I'm too old for TikTok. You know, yes, you can find people in their 30s or even 40s, sometimes older, growing uh, popular followings on TikTok, but it's rare. The the popular TikTokers 
make fun of millennials for being old. In fact, that's a whole like thing on TikToks, making fun of millennials for skinny jeans, because apparently skinny jeans are no longer trendy. <laughs> so now I feel how Gen Xers felt suddenly. It's like, oh, I'm, I didn't realize I'm the old man now. <laughs> so uh, to be good at TikTok, you have to be really good at creating an incredibly entertaining 30 second video and a really, a really entertaining five second intro. People are deciding whether or not to watch your video basically almost immediately within like milliseconds. It also helps to have a uh, head start. So while you may have only heard about TikTok recently, it's been around for a long time and the people who are popular there spent time learning kind of intuitively how to get the algorithm to feature their content and show it to lots and lots of people. And I'll also say like Instagram, TikTok favors people who look good on camera. It tends to be an endless scroll of beautiful people. It's a little bit less focused on beauty because there's video, it's animated, so there's lots of like dancing and action. And uh, so it favors fitness a little bit more. So while an Instagram tends to zoom in a little bit more on the face for popular content, TikTok tends to zoom out and focus more on the body and the movement of the body. But it's still, it's an endless scroll of beautiful people. And if you wanna be in that scroll, you need to fit in that scroll. And don't shoot me, I'm the messenger. <laughs> so I didn't make these platforms. I didn't make these rules. I know this is not what you want to hear, and it's not what I want to hear, but it's how TikTok works. There's a lot of other controversial things about TikTok I, I won't go into, although I'll briefly mention there are some real privacy concerns over TikTok. I was watching the Senate testimony where a TikTok senior executive was uh, before a Senate committee and answering questions under oath, and one senator asked him four times to deny that the clause in the privacy statement of TikTok didn't cause them to share their information with affiliates, including this one affiliate that was run by the Minister of Propaganda in China, because TikTok is owned by a Chinese company. And the man would not say it under oath. <laughs> the senator asked him four times. It's one of the most awkward Senate exchanges I've ever seen in my entire life. And, uh, and it was interesting because he talked around the answer four times. And he didn't want to admit to anything, but he also was unwilling to perjure himself on behalf of his uh, corporation. So you can look that up if you'd like, and you can research TikTok. And if you feel like the privacy protections are suitable for your privacy desires. So these different social networks have different levels of privacy. And I'd say TikTok's probably got the lowest level of privacy of all of the social networks on this list. So my recommendation is very similar to what it was with Instagram. I don't think trying to become a book talker is worth the investment. Uh, the better bang for your buck is to get a day job and use that money to sponsor book talkers who are already have a following and are already good at the art of TikTok. You'll be happier and wealthier paying someone else to TikTok on your behalf with the audience they've built up. It doesn't make sense to spend years building an audience when you're only writing a book once or twice a year. It's just not worth it. Another platform getting massive growth is Discord. Now, Discord is like a photo negative of TikTok. On TikTok, all of the content is on one for you page that's sorted by the algorithm. On Discord, there is no algorithm and there is no single page where all the content lives. TikTok is for video. Discord is for audio and text. TikTok is most popular with teen girls. Discord is most popular with teen boys. And Discord is a tool for hosting a private community. You can't really go viral on Discord because 
each Discord server is like a world unto itself. And so if you think of Discord, it's like a archipelago of islands <laughs> and each island is separate. So you can get on a boat and go from one island to another. You can switch from one Discord server to another, but it's like a bunch of independent social networks. So as a promotion platform, Discord doesn't really sound like a useful tool for authors. You can't buy ads that appear on Discord and that content doesn't spread on Discord. But having a place for a private community can help with marketing. Discord is the best place to host your launch team, for instance. While Facebook sells your group data to Amazon, getting your launch team reviews taken down. So Facebook groups are a terrible place for your launch team because your reviews will just get deleted. Discord keeps your group membership private. In fact, another big difference between Discord and TikTok is that Discord is a very high privacy social network, whereas TikTok is a low privacy social network. There's only one social network on this list with even higher privacy standards than Discord. Uh, Discord is also a great place uh, to connect with your most passionate readers and let them connect with each other. So I'm a part of a reading group. We read, I don't know, about a book a month and we have our own Discord server. And there's only, I don't know, a dozen of us in the group and yet it's the most active Discord server I'm a part of because we have a lot to talk about. So it's a really great tool for kind of replicating real world communities online. And Discord initially started off as a thing for gamers to talk. In fact, that's I've been using Discord for years because I'll play video games with my brothers and who I don't get to see very often, but we'll all be together on what's effectively a conference call, sometimes playing the same game together, sometimes not. And when we are playing the same game together, it's a it's very intense because <laughs> we're telling each other how to be better. But anyway, that's where Discord came from. But it's grown far beyond video game conversations, just like TikTok has grown beyond dance videos. There's more on TikTok than dance videos, and there's more to Discord than uh, video games. So let, we talked about Discord being a high privacy social network. Now let's talk about the king of privacy-centric social networks, MeWe. About a year ago, I did an entire episode about MeWe, and I speculated that this may become the next big thing. At the time, there was a bunch of conservatives who were leaving Facebook, and many of them were signing up for MeWe. And they were also signing up for other more political social networks. So there's a bunch of new social networks that have sprung up in the last year because of the kind of crackdowns on conservatives on the big corporate social networks. And MeWe is not one of those political social networks. It's an old social network, and it's the privacy social network, which is it's both its greatest strength and its greatest weakness. So after using MeWe for a year, here are some of my thoughts about MeWe. And that is that since MeWe does not share any data about its users with anyone, there's no good way to tell how effective it is, right? There's no way to tell how many people came to your website from MeWe. You can see a report in Google Analytics that says how many people came from TikTok, how many people came from Instagram, how many people came from Twitter and Facebook and all of the other social networks. You can know exactly how many people came to your site from those platforms. Whereas MeWe, that traffic all shows up as direct traffic, as if those people just typed in your address themselves. There's no referral data passed from server to server. So you could be getting a surge of traffic and you have no idea where that surge of traffic is coming from. Well, it might be coming from MeWe because MeWe will not collect that data and it will not share that data because they are very focused on privacy. Now, so after a year of using MeWe, 
The only thing I can really say about it is I have no idea how effective MeWe is as a marketing tool for authors. Now, book marketing commandment number four says, thou shalt measure thy marketing. And MeWe does everything it can do to make this commandment hard to follow. So as a MeWe user, I love this. I love the privacy, right? And it's nice being on a social network with no algorithm and no tracking and high privacy. Uh, but as a book promoter, it's kind of a deal breaker. <laughs> so it's hard uh, for me to recommend MeWe. But if you feel like you're getting results from MeWe, I'm not saying to get off of MeWe, but I am saying it's really hard to look at those numbers, which is a little frustrating because I like, I like to know what works and what doesn't from the numbers, not from the anecdotes. So now let's talk about Goodreads. You know, a lot of people complain about how social media is always changing, right? The rules from last year don't apply this year. Well, there is one social network where nothing ever changes, ever. <laughs> Goodreads. There's just, it's the same. It, it's like a time capsule from the 90s. <laughs> the Goodreads website. Uh, if you don't know, Goodreads is a social network specifically for books, readers, and authors. And it's a good place to be. I recommend that all authors have a presence on Goodreads just because it's so book-centric. So, you know, we've been talking about these social networks and how some have really vibrant communities of authors that drive sales, like TikTok and Instagram, and others don't really. Goodreads is nothing but that, right? There's no fancy hashtags. Everything on Goodreads is about books all the time. Another thing I like about Goodreads is that it doesn't take a lot of time. So while, you know, getting good at TikTok, you have to be making videos all the time and constantly practicing and getting better. It's kind of like getting good at a sport. And if you want to get good at basketball, you really have to practice every day. Goodreads is not like that. And with Goodreads, you put in, I don't know, five or six hours of work, get your profile set up, and then you check once a month, maybe once every couple months, just to see how things are going. It's not the kind of social network that you have to spend a lot of time on. The biggest amount of work of Goodreads is reading the books, right? So you have something to talk about. And hopefully, you're already reading books. <laughs> so that's not extra work. Just gives you a place to talk about the books that you're already reading. Now, frustrating Goodreads ads don't work. And there's really no excuse for this because Goodreads ads should work because Goodreads knows exactly what people are reading and can recommend books that are really similar to that. You know, people are giving Goodreads information about what they're reading and what they're finishing. And they're on Goodreads specifically to find their next good read. And yet the ads don't work. And in the words of Chris Fox, the reason they don't work is that they're too small visually to get attention. That's it. <laughs> Which they could fix if they were willing to change the platform. But again, Goodreads does not change. <laughs> that's just not, that's not in the ethos of the social network. So what does work on Goodreads? Well, the tactic that works the best is paying to give away copies of your book. You can have a contest where people enter to win a free copy of your book. And this can be a really good way to get a lot of reviews really quickly because you can give out, you know, 100 ebook copies of your book. And now you have 100 people reading your book and leaving your reviews. I will say this works best for ebooks since uh, there's a problem with paper books where there's a kind of a cottage industry now of people who get free books, win contests on Goodreads, get their free books, and then just immediately resell them on Amazon. They don't read the book. They don't even open the book. They just take it. <laughs> they may not even open the package. They just take the package and then immediately resell it, and they are making money on the side. So giving away paper books doesn't work anymore on Goodreads, but giving away ebooks does. And I'll say I need to do another episode on Goodreads. 
Not so much because Goodreads has changed, but because our last episode on Goodreads is so old, it's about to fall off the feed. So this podcast feed is limited to 300 episodes. Now that Novel Marketing has over 300 episodes, each new episode kicks an old episode off the feed. So the Goodreads, I think you can still find them right now, but I think in two or three episodes, the Goodreads episodes will delete. So if you're listening on your app right now and you want to listen, you still can. Just scroll all the way down to the bottom. <laughs> You can listen to our very old episodes on Goodreads. There have been, in the last eight years, a couple of changes on Goodreads, and it does deserve its own new episode, including the giveaways, actually. Uh, the paying to feature your giveaways is somewhat new. Now, I can't talk about Goodreads without talking about the Goodreads extortion rackets. So this is another issue that's emerged recently uh, with Goodreads, is that trolls who have an army of bots will threaten authors and say, pay me $100 or my army of bots will leave you, you know, hundreds of one-star reviews saying that you're racist. And Goodreads doesn't have good spam protection. They haven't been keeping up with the war on spammers and fake accounts. This is a problem that all social networks have. I heard that Facebook deletes something like a quarter billion fake accounts every year. Sorry, every quarter. So it's like a billion fake accounts every year, which is a lot of fake accounts. It's uh, almost to the point where there's more artificial humans than there are real humans. But Facebook is working harder to remove those fake accounts than Goodreads is. And if anyone still works at Goodreads, they don't seem to be doing much to stop these bot armies. And so you may be like, well, I'm not going to be on Goodreads. I don't want to be extorted. Well, here's the thing. Staying off of Goodreads isn't protection. Because if your book is on Amazon, it's also on Goodreads because Amazon owns Goodreads. And so it's reviewable on Goodreads. So someone could still threaten you with a bunch of negative reviews and to threaten to review bomb you on Goodreads if you don't pay them money. I'd say the best protection from this extortion is to get a lot of positive Goodreads reviews. Right? The more positive reviews a book has, the harder it is to review bomb. Your bot army of 100 bots may be scary to someone who only has 10 reviews, but it's not scary to someone who has 10,000 reviews. Now, this brings us to the final social network, the one you've all been waiting for, Facebook, the big kahuna, the granddaddy of all the social networks. Now, Facebook has been in the news a lot lately because of all of the research coming out about how harmful Facebook is to mental health, right? That Surgeon General's warning didn't come from nowhere, right? People spent a lot more time on social media due to the lockdowns over the last couple of years. And that has really shown in the statistics in terms of mental health. And if you ask yourself, you know, am I happier than I used to be? Am I getting happier every year or am I less happy every year? For most people, the answer is I'm not less happy. And that correlates in the numbers really closely with how much time they spend on social media. And since we're spending more time or we were spending more time on social media due to the lockdowns and the lack of things to do, Outside of the house, you know, people are spending more time on social media in general and, and Facebook in specific, the more deleterious effects it's had on our mental health. So Facebook overall growth is pretty flat. So Facebook for a long time just grew by leaps and bounds and really kind of jaw-dropping growth. So overall, it's flat globally, but I would say in some communities, usage is really dropping. So, And if you write for conservative readers, you've probably seen this, right? You're posts are not getting the kind of reaction that they used to because a lot of conservatives either got kicked off or they left in protest. 
And I don't really want to get into the politics of this. It's just what's happening. Again, don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> I'm always afraid to do these kinds of episodes because I do get angry letters from folks. So, and it turns out that the reason that your numbers are dropping on Facebook may be partly due to the fact that your audience is spending less time on Facebook, right? Because a lot of people realize Facebook's bad for them, right? When I say Facebook's bad for your mental health, this isn't a shock. Deep down, we know smoking is bad for you. We know social media is bad for you. I think the days of thinking that this was some unaugmented good for society are long gone. <laughs> I don't think anyone believes that anymore. Now, the fact that Facebook's flat overall and is shrinking for some communities in, in some places, I'm not saying that Facebook is going to become the next MySpace, but I will say that it is interesting that the company recently changed its name, right? Facebook, the company that runs Facebook.com is no longer called Facebook. It's called Meta. It changed their name I don't know, a month, month, two months ago. Now, this is this sort of rebranding is the thing companies do to shield their brand from the collapse of a particular product. If your brand is tied to one specific product, your whole um, brand perception goes up and down based off of that one product. And maybe they're trying to mitigate those possible future losses because they see in the numbers, Facebook might turn into the next MySpace. I don't think it will. I think Facebook's here to stay, partly because it's such an institution for uh, staying in contact with people. And for a lot of people, especially people in lower socioeconomic brackets, Facebook has kind of replaced email for their communication with like friends and that, you know, if you don't work a job where you're in front of a computer all day, uh, you may be using Facebook for that sort of thing. I don't think that's going away, but I do think people are trying to reduce their kind of presence on Facebook. So what works on Facebook and what doesn't? Well, Facebook pages still don't work. There was a lot of buzz in the last few months, really last 12 months, and a lot of changes to the pages feature on Facebook. And from what I've seen and the numbers I've looked at, it doesn't seem to have made much of a difference in terms of reach. So the interface is different. They've rearranged how it works. The way you edit your own page is a little bit different. How you have to be logged in for your page, a lot of that, that has changed, but it uh, hasn't seemed to increase or decrease the reach in any measurable way. So pages didn't work before. They still don't really work now. There was some push to try to get people using pages, but it didn't seem to go anywhere. Uh, live streams. And this is the other feature that used to work really well. Live streams used to be magic. You could go on Facebook Live and you could very quickly have a pretty big audience. And if you were interesting and entertaining and funny, those people would share and you could get thousands, sometimes tens of thousands of people watching your live stream. And then some idiot in Christchurch, New Zealand, live stream his mass shooting at a mosque. And after that, Facebook significantly diminished the visibility of live streams across the whole platform. So the shooting was terrible. The live streaming was terrible. And I don't actually blame Facebook for pulling back on the live stream feature. If I were Facebook and people could live stream any kind of terrible atrocity, I wouldn't want that getting broadcast on my platform. So I'm not blaming them for that. But the reality is, is if you were relying on that feature to reach people, right? You know, let's say you have a group of writers and you want to go live and reach your writers you may be shocked how few people are actually seeing that live stream. And now let's talk about groups. So for recently, kind of the one feature of Facebook that authors are still using and sometimes to some success were groups. And this is diminishing, continuing to diminish each year with how effective it is. And it's just a matter of math. So to see what I'm talking about, go to facebook.com slash groups. And on the left-hand side, you'll have a column that shows you how many groups you are a part of. 
And if you're like most people, you're a part of hundreds of groups, maybe 200, maybe 500 groups. You may be just astounded how many groups you've joined over the years. But let's say you're only a member of 200 groups and those groups are only moderately active. They only do 10 posts a day. Well, then it's still 2,000 posts a day across your 200 groups. And Facebook's not gonna show you all 2,000 of those posts. It's only gonna show you a handful, which means that the algorithm is hiding most group content, just like it's hiding most page content. And if there's an algorithm between you and your fan, they're not your fan, they're a fan of the algorithm. I personally have moved away from Facebook groups. So I used to have a Facebook group with each course that I taught. Uh, I had a Facebook group for this podcast. I had lots of Facebook groups and I've moved pretty much all of the author-focused groups to authormedia.social, which I pay for, right? I'm the customer. I pay a company called circle.so for the technology to run my own community. And I couldn't be happier about that decision. Getting away from Facebook is like, going out to a national park after being in the city and you're breathing this fresh air and there's a million little annoyances that are suddenly gone and you can hear yourself think, you can hear the birds chirping, you can get to the end of it. <laughs> so you can be active on authormedia.social and read everything there is to read and then be done. You're like, well, gosh, I guess I have to get back to writing now because I read everything there is to read. Whereas Facebook, you can scroll infinitely but when you'll never reach the bottom of facebook.com. So... And Facebook groups, I guess, still can work in some cases, but I don't think they're worth the time or the investment, especially since they are diminishing every year. So if you're investing in Facebook groups, trying to build a community in a Facebook group, it's like fighting the tide. The tide's going out, and I don't think it's a good investment. If you have a Facebook group and it's working and you can't afford to move somewhere else, you know, I'm not saying you have to shut it down. And I'm certainly not saying you should move it to like MeWe or, or something, although you might consider moving it to Discord. Discord is such a better place for that kind of small community. So much better. <laughs> so maybe consider it. And Discord's free, which is a nice advantage. They have like a pro version that's got some bonus features, but the free version's quite robust. And it has a really strong privacy. Speaking of privacy, let's talk about Facebook advertising. So this is another big change in the last 12 to 18 months. I want to say it was in 2020, Apple announced it, but they didn't kick in the change until I think it was early 2021. Apple stopped letting Facebook harvest your data off of your phone without giving you permission or getting your permission. So you all got a pop-up on your phone if you have an iPhone last year saying, do you want Facebook to collect your data on your phone? And if you click no, then Apple shut Facebook off from all of that data. So now, suddenly, the ads aren't as relevant. <laughs> so supposedly Facebook was never listening to you on your phone. And, you know, there's a lot of conspiracy theories that they're listening to you on your microphone, and that's why the ads are so eerily good. The reality is they didn't need to. They didn't need to listen to you because they had so much metadata about your activity from your phone that they were able to predict your desires and your wants and your activities before you even did them. And that's been reduced significantly. So Facebook ads aren't quite as effective as they used to be. So flipping that around, as an advertiser, you don't have access to people's innermost metadata secrets, or at least not as much of them. Facebook's still very active in the data broker game. They buy a lot of data from shadowy data brokers, and they sell data to shadowy data brokers. So they still know a lot about you, but they're getting less information about you from your phone, unless you're one of the 5% who said, yes, Facebook, you can continue to collect data about me. And if that's you, I'm really curious why you did that. <laughs> if you feel free to shoot me an email, because I'm genuinely curious. No uh, judgment, just curiosity. In terms of Facebook ads, 
I'm not doing a lot of Facebook advertising right now actively, but I have been getting regular emails from Facebook offering me advertising at half price, right? They'll sell me a certain dollar amount of ads at half the price. Or if I buy a certain amount of ads, they'll give me that much more again for free. And they never used to send me deals like this. <laughs> so my suspicion is, is that fewer advertisers are spending less money on Facebook and they're spending more money in other places. A lot more money is being spent on podcast advertising, for instance, and uh, advertising on these other social networks, right? Because the young demographic that advertisers are most interested in, they're not really on Facebook. This isn't news, right? Your kids aren't following Facebook. Your friends are. It's no longer the social network for college students like it used to be. The kids are on TikTok and Discord and Instagram uh, for the most part. And, you know, maybe the kids have a Facebook account, but they use it more like email. Uh, so Facebook Messenger still a very popular tool inside the Facebook ecosystem. So, but I should say, and this is very important, reduced effectiveness is not the same as eliminated effectiveness. Facebook advertising can and does still work. It works best for indie authors. This isn't really a tool that traditional authors can use. And it works best for indie authors who write genre books and long series with very strong covers. And I do hope to do an episode specifically on Facebook advertising sometime this year. Talk about kind of the current state of Facebook advertising because social media marketing and social media advertising are different. So social media marketing, the general idea is you create this free content, you build a following, and then you earn the right to talk to those people for free through the social platform. That was kind of the old school approach of social media marketing. And the social platforms, they didn't like that. They didn't like the fact that brands could talk to people for free. They wanted to get in on that action. They wanted to charge and they do right now on Facebook. If you want to talk to people, you have to pay Facebook <laughs> and that's on purpose. And that's why Facebook is such a valuable company. Finally, I just want to say, beware of the anecdotes. You know, a lot of teaching about social media at conferences is it's just an anecdotal story. Often it's some author went viral on some social network for a few months, and then she spends years telling that story at conference after conference. <laughs> and what few people realize is that none of her students at any of those conferences are able to go viral in the same way. Right? This is like a lottery ticket, a lottery winner saying about you know their special strategy for picking numbers. It's like I don't you know I don't think your strategy is why you succeeded. I think you succeeded because you got lucky. Or put another way, it's like someone saying how they, you know, started smoking cigarettes and that caused them to take smoke breaks. And on a smoke break, they met someone who gave them a big break in their career. And so you should start smoking cigarettes, too. So, you know, this really does happen. People meet other people while taking a smoke break and that can lead to a big change in their career. But I don't think it's the reason why you should start smoking. <laughs> for one, smoking is bad for you. And two... You could smoke your whole life, taking smoke breaks your whole life, and never get that same kind of big break. And I feel like social media in general is that same way. It's unhealthy. And, you know, while it might be healthy in small doses, and, you know, not everyone who smokes dies of lung cancer, right? Some people can smoke in small doses, and maybe it doesn't harm them. Although I do think it keeps them from having those real-world interactions that are most helpful, most healthy. So... I mean, I still use social media. I mean, I do social media marketing still, and I advise a lot of people on it. But more and more, I find myself encouraging people to get off of social media, that it's not worth it. The opportunity cost is too high. As a platform, it's not a way of getting the word out for free anymore. You have to come to social media with either money or time and expertise. 
and a lot of time, right? hundreds of hours to get good at TikTok, hundreds of hours to get pretty enough for Instagram, right? The, the people who are Instagram famous put a lot of work into that look, into that Instagram pretty look. They don't wake up that way. I know they make you think that. <laughs> They'll have a, you know, I woke up this way photo. It's lies. <laughs> Nobody wakes up that way. So I would like to say officially on the record that I, Thomas Umstead Jr., the Vulcan of book marketing, the host of the longest running book marketing podcast, and he who knows 10,000 things, I give you permission to get off of social media. You can do social media if you want to, but if it feels like a drag, if you feel obligated to do it because some guru told you you had to, I encourage you to send that guru the link to this episode. And then if they dispute it, ask to see the numbers, right? Ask to see their evidence. And if they say, oh, just do it because you know publishers care about that, you don't want to go with a publisher who is looking at bad data and making bad marketing decisions because that publisher is not going to do good marketing for you. And, you know, that's the kind of publisher who will waste a million dollars signing Billie Eilish because she's famous on social media without asking the question, is she writing a book that people actually want to read? <laughs> Do we have a marketing strategy for getting the book out, right? Being famous on social media isn't going to make you a successful author. And I think it is perfectly okay to just completely check out of social media. It was a weird decade that <laughs> we were all on social media, and I think it's coming to an end. I think people are starting to wake up to just how toxic and poisonous it is. Now, if you're wondering, what do I do, right? It's like, okay, so I'm saying no to social media, but I thought that was the only option. Well, for one, listen to other episodes of this podcast. But if you're needing more specific help, I do have a course on platform building. It's where I'm putting basically every marketing course that I make in the future that's platform related. So we already have sessions on how to put together a strategy that plays to your strengths, avoids your weaknesses, and targets your specific audience, right? Having a good strategy is so key and it helps you know what to invest in and what not to invest in. We talk about growing your blog. We talk about having a better author website. Right now I'm doing a series of courses on how to start your own podcast, right? So I give you the strategy for you to put together your own recipe for your book and your strengths. And then over time, I'm adding more and more ingredients to the pantry to help you build a platform that will work for you, a platform that you enjoy, <laughs> not one that feels like a drag or an obligation, one that's not smoking for your soul. And we've had this in closed beta for a long time. It's now an open beta. So you can still save a significant amount on the price of the course. if You just use the coupon code beta and you can find out more about that at authormedia.com slash courses. Our feature patrons today is all of the new patrons who joined in December, which I really appreciate because I didn't put out a lot of episodes in December. We still picked up a few new patrons, Jenny Johnson, Nate Wright, Amanda Bridge, and Karen Engel. So thank you so much for supporting the podcast. If you find this podcast helpful, uh, it means a lot that you give some of that value back, right? That uh, you're the kind, and I appreciate that each one of you are the kind of people who contribute, right? You're, you come and you give back to keep the show on the air. If you have a question you'd like me to answer on the show, you're welcome to call our listener helpline. That's the beginning of the year and I'm planning out topics for the rest of the year. So it's a really good time to call uh, the listener helpline. You can leave a voicemail at 512-827-8377 or you just go to authormedia.com and you can leave a high quality recording there. 
Uh, the Novel Marketing Podcast is a production of Author Media. This episode's audio was edited by Willie Mumstadt. The blog post is by Shauna Lettler. And I am Thomas Umstadt Jr., your host. To find the blog post version of this episode, go to authormedia.com slash 310310. We have our 310th episode. <laughs> this is pretty fun. Thank you for listening and live long and prosper.